everybody. I'm Lauren. I'm Emma. And you're listening to The Oak View. Hi, Emma. Hey, Lauren. How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Today's been a good day. I got to do a lot of different tasks at work, so I feel like I've been productive, which is kind of rare for a Monday. Right? Yeah. I'm glad you feel accomplished. Thank you. How are you doing? How is everything? Um, It was kind of a, a, a different day at work. I didn't do what like I normally do. I got stuck in some different things, but I mean, it was fairly average. <laughs> <laughs> were you in different a different department or something? So you weren't doing like a regular I was tasks? just helping out with something I normally, um, well, I don't do often, which is fine. Oh, so. that, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, Lauren, I think today's um, going to be our first actual guest that we're having on our podcast. I know. Isn't that exciting? It's really exciting. And it's exciting because like we know this person quite well. Of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to give it away, but um, <laughs> Lauren and I have always thought about how important it is to have different perspectives, especially because we are two people that pretty much are the same. And although we have different opinions, we like to hear from other people and their background and what they bring to the table. And also, I think this podcast gives us a really good opportunity just to learn new things and to um, engage in topics that wouldn't necessarily like come up in our mind because we know great people and that we want to know better. Absolutely. And I think a lot of what my perspective and yours perspective might hinder our conversations is that our experiences are only our own and we don't really necessarily know what these people could you know, introduce us to or enlighten us more on and we want to talk about subjects that are really important to us. Yeah, so I think it's fun to have a series of guests to just talk about interesting educational topics. So for, you know, for us and for everybody. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to introduce the guest, if that's okay. Okay, absolutely. Her name is Candice Hansen. She is a marriage and family therapist. She specializes in play therapy for children. I know her because she's my sister. (laughs) So uh, her perspective today is really going to dive deep into child development. And Lauren and I are really curious about this because we are so passionate about STEAM for young girls and um, young boys who are striving to become the best versions of themselves. And we're curious how that overlaps with mental health. And um, she's a female business owner. Like this is what we always like to encourage. So I don't know about you, Lauren, but I'm really interested in kind of hearing that different perspective. Yeah, I'm excited to learn just kind of like how do children develop differently and then how does she specifically like or what's the most interesting thing to do with children that brings their thought forward um, because obviously it's a lot different than speaking with an adult. Absolutely. And although she is my sister, I'm going to hit her with hard questions. I want to know things about her field that could really benefit how we introduce resources to the people that are listening because like, of course, we're trying to get ourselves in there and uh, let young women and uh, young boys see that. I'm interested to hear what specifically your questions are because I know that you do have an interest in like reaching out to the youth and like young children from a young age as one of like your personal life goals if I'm able to share that about you. That is definitely accurate. I love helping out the little ones. It it also comes back to like my 
my job that I'm in at right now, we build schools for kids. So I like to see myself doing the full circle of life right here. Yeah. Do you think about them when you're like designing a school? Oh, 100%. Part of our clientele conversations not only are about the administration and the teachers, but the kids, like they're the ones using the spaces. Um, They're the ones learning in them and benefiting from them along with parents, you know, outside guests um, Mm -hmm. and you know, multi-perspectives in architecture is key to creating great design. Multi-perspectives in everywhere is key. Exactly. (laughs) And I think that's why it's so important that we have guests because like, come on, are you kidding me? Like we need to know all the different avenues that are going to make us successful as people and successful in the things that we're passionate about. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited. So let's get started. Let's get started. Okay, Lauren, we have Candace here, our first guest on our podcast. Yay, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're so excited to have you here because I already said it to the peoples, but I know you, but I want to know you from like a professional stance. Mm-hmm. And Lauren and I are so interested in your background and what you do with child development and kids and how that can really help us be good in our field and how we can ask uh, people that we know about different resources. And this is could be really beneficial when we're trying to get young girls involved in science and engineering and architecture and what do we need to look for and so we have a series of questions today but thanks for coming and uh you know I don't know about you Lauren but I'm kind of excited that we have people coming on I know we're so official we're all professional (laughs) here um so Candace do you want to just kind of like give yourself an intro and tell everybody what you do yeah. Um, so my name is Candace Hansen. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and registered play therapist. And I own a private practice up in Hastings, Minnesota, which is a suburb of St. Paul. So right uh, just outside the Twin Cities or right inside, I should say, the Twin Cities bubble. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. What is your practice called? It's called Holding Space Therapy. And um yeah. Do you want the, the like the background of the name? You or? can give us. Yeah. And you when want. did you start? Yeah. Yeah. Your so, own practice. So opening day was September first of this year, cool. which may sound a little crazy to open a business during a pandemic, but you know we have a lot of need right now for mental health services, especially for children and families, and. Um, I created the name essentially after a conversation with a colleague of mine, and it was just a really great conversation about life and work and our field and our goals, and I had already been racking my brain for a few months about the name, and on the drive home, um, I was just reflecting on that conversation with my colleague, and I was thinking you know, that felt really nice to be heard. And, um, you know, it felt like he was validating me. And that's really what I want to give to my clients, you know, um, a space for them to come in with their, their struggles and their, their challenges. And I'm, I'm there for them. And literally, as I'm driving over a bridge, I heard a voice behind me and it said, holding space. And I was like, that's it. That's the name. And that's actually a term um, that we use in the field to 
um, it, how I would interpret it is represent the concept of, you know, holding energy and st- your story and, um, again, just, um, you know, validation and all that kind of stuff. So I thought it was really fitting. That's so sweet. Yeah, yeah. A really um, nice circle moment. It was um, – and I actually got a little emotional, which – when I cry or feel something, you know, heavy in my chest, it's always a sign that I'm on the right path. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I think at least for me, I'd like to know a little bit about your background before we dive into like you as a businesswoman. Yeah. So like, you know, where'd you go to school and like, what kind of degrees do you have? So like people know that like you are definitely, you know, a- an expert. Ah, well, you know, it's tricky with that expert label because, you know, I have specializations, but um, I can't quite call myself an expert per se. So, but yeah, to answer the question, my background um, is really uh, just college essentially and, and, you know, and then some hands-on experience. So I went to the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis for undergrad. And I originally tried to um, my major, double major in psychology and music therapy, but that didn't, um, the music therapy part didn't happen. So I discovered actually that the U has child psychology and I decided to switch my major because I have always wanted to work with kids in some fashion. And then halfway through undergrad, I added a family social science minor, which helped me understand a bit more about you know, family dynamics and um, just different types of theories that are out there. And then when I realized, you know, grad school had to be the next step, I did some research and I came across marriage and family therapy. And, you know, based off of the research, just learned about family systems theory, which teaches us that we are all part of systems in our homes, outside of our homes. And we um, heal when in healthy relationships. And that just made good sense to me based off of the world I come from. And I just applied to a couple schools, didn't get into one, but got into then St. Mary's university in Minneapolis. And, uh, it was, it was great. Graduate school was awesome. And then, um, just getting into just starting grad school, I, I learned about play therapy and concentrated on that as well. Didn't get a degree or, or a certificate or anything, but just took all the classes and then kept studying and practicing that after grad school. That seems like a pretty profound path for being in your 20s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wanted to be a therapist um, really since I was 15. That's when I discovered that passion. And it was really through being just that friend that everyone seemed to gravitate towards, told their struggles to, asked for advice. And and I always laugh when I tell this story, but back then as a 15-year-old, not truly knowing what a therapist does, I was thinking, well, if I can get paid to tell people what to do, that sounds like a really great, Mm -hmm. you know, um, career opportunity. But just to, you know, add, we don't tell people what to do. And, you know, it's it's a bit different than that. But of course, it's everything's yeah. more complicated than yeah. we understand. But that's a great surface level description. So, yeah. So you said that you are a registered play therapist. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? If it wasn't part of your degree, what else do you have to do to get registered? Yeah, great question. So there's the Association for Play Therapy, and they require um, 
extra supervision hours, training hours, education hours, essentially. Um, and that just adds to the competency level. And I had to fill out an application and show proof of obtaining those trainings and supervision hours. And, um, and then, yeah, I sent that in and, and they approved me. And that's how I became the registered play therapist. So you have to be a cool. licensed professional. So I was, uh, mm-hmm. I became licensed as a marriage and family therapist back in 2014. Or I'm sorry, what am I thinking? 2016, four years ago. And um, yeah, and then since, you know, really all through these last seven years after grad school, I had been participating in play therapy things and so I was able to just log a lot of it which really helped I think that's really awesome awesome mm-hmm. we love the word awesome but we really we I genuinely <laughs> that is think a good it's, word it's awesome I'm I'm kind of curious because like you know you you have a really extensive uh research background and you have a lot of knowledge behind the work that you do like how did you dwindle down to say like I'm gonna work with kids mm, wow yeah I mean it, it kids are just they're a population that I've always gravitated towards. Um, so I don't know, you know, you told your audience that you know me. And yeah, what, I, I did tell them why and how. Yeah. So then as people know, we have an older sister yes, as well. Yes, one of two. Yes. And so um, even when I was, I think it was middle school, my older sister and I had a deal that I was going to be her live-in um, support and be then the nanny for ki- for her kids. That's hilarious. And, <laughs> I didn't and, know that. Yeah, and then and then I learned how to babysit, and I you know, Laura and I babysat you. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, our families are quite connected. <laughs> yes, and so I took that class like what when you're 13 or something, and um, it just it's really evolved from there. Just volunteer opportunities, um, you know, in church or the community. And um, just then learning in undergrad that they struggle as well um, with their mental health. And I just, I, I don't, I'm not afraid of kids. Um, they don't make me nervous. They don't. Do you yeah. think that most people are nervous from children? Like, to- Oh, I can't say most. I, I don't, I, you know, I don't know if there's any kind of survey out there about that. So I can't say most. Um, and at the same time, some people just don't feel very comfortable. You know, I've heard some people say, like, yeah. I don't know how to talk to them. I don't know what to say. I don't know um, how to help them. And and this is not even in the therapeutic context. Um, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that's okay. And but for some reason, I was gifted with that ability. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's just. It's so fun to hear, you know, what toddlers have to say or how 10-year-olds work through their challenges. Um, I call them magical people. Kids are just magical to me, and they have this unique perspective of the world. And my hope is to be their advocate because, at least in our society, um, you know, I think there is still some, what some people term childism, you know, be quiet, your feelings don't matter, or just deal mm-hmm. with the red cup that you yeah, got. Right. Um, but you know, from day one, children are whole people that deserve love and validation and attention, just like us adults. You know, we were talking earlier a little bit, me and Lauren, about how in architecture, 
I interview kids. Like, we don't just talk to the teachers and the administration and the parents, but, like, we talk to the kids. And at little is kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And we ask them, we go, if you could do anything for your school, blue sky, what would you put? And they go, we want animals crawling through the the hallways and a tiger in the gym. And, and like, those little moments that we have with them, as outrageous as that sounds as an architect – we actually are empowered by their excitement and their imagination. Mm -hmm. So I love that you use that and you're able to connect with them and like explore their little imagination brains because I think that's like, I don't know about you, Lauren, but when I was little, I had the best ideas. (laughs) I know you did. I mean. (laughs) No, I think that's so sweet. And I think it's. Yeah. And I want to ask you, Candice, um, you know, it must be so different on how you communicate with children and how children communicate with you as an adult, is there one thing or like one thing that you would tell people on like how children communicate or what to pay attention to or how to approach those subjects when adults are like, I just don't know how to to talk with them? Yeah. Um, you know, it really depends on the age and the the thing if you will so let's say um you want to approach the topic of grief you know how you would speak to the three-year-old is very different than the 15 year old Mm -hmm. um you know the younger we are we need things in simple concrete terms essentially um you know so for example some people um, view death as falling asleep, right? That's the terminology, you know, they fell asleep. Um, but if we tell a little kid that, you know, grandma fell asleep, little kids don't understand that falling asleep and then dying is not the same thing as falling asleep at night. And so their imaginations Mm -hmm. and just where their brain is at developmentally, they're going to make up stories and they're going to run with it. And for some kids, that could turn into having a lot of anxiety at night, you know? Yes. Um, and so what I encourage people to, to do, especially the caregivers and the parents of my clients, um, is to, to read up on child development, you know, and I'll send them some book recommendations or some website recommendations with developmental charts even so they understand, um, you know, where kids are at. Um, And I think that's what our society needs to understand more, too, is that our brains are developing from not only just conception, but through our mid-20s. And some research is saying closer to 30 for males. Um, So, I mean, do our brains grow and change throughout, excuse me, entire lifespan? Absolutely. But that, you know, that basis is the first 25 to 30 years of our life. I mean, that's, that's intense, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I, what I try and advocate for is to really understand, hey, you know, we've got an underdeveloped brain here and we need to understand that we need to honor that. And that's how, you know, we support the kid then. That's awesome, Candice. Thank you for that. Um, I think I want to break this down even more, Lauren. I don't know about you, but like, you know, okay. for for Lauren and I's perspective, you know, we come from a very logistical, uh, concrete, everything has order kind of world. So I'm curious because kids are so 
experimental. Uh, they speak how they feel. Uh, you know, Lauren and I have talked in prior episodes about the complication of how often adults seem to dismiss those really simple minded perspectives that Mm -hmm. we like to call childish Mm -hmm. because they're children Mm -hmm. but in reality like we know that girls as young as five start feeling that they are hopeless Mm. and not good enough and they can't do anything because there's so many people around them that discourage them from dreaming big and trying new things and and doing everything that the boys are doing Mm. so it's like how can someone like you really benefit our fields and how can someone like you help us learn and have a change of perspective of how we teach kids about other subjects because like communicating at least Lauren and I communicate once or twice a week Mm -hmm. over just you know face to face but if you're with a child every day and now everyone's e-learning yeah and this you know this pandemic and the perspective of you know what's right and what's wrong is really all about like how supportive can that be so I think the ultimate question in my ranting is like (laughs) your perspective helps out in I'm I'm assuming like because people think therapy crisis right you go to therapist because chaos is happening. You go to therapy to a therapist because you're unsupported or you're feeling lost. But like for a kid, like what is it? What does therapy do for a child for them to continuously feel like they can be big dreamers? Hmm. I know that's so big, but well, it's that's like, a profound question. <laughs> um, that's what we like to do here. You know, I I've never um, I've never consulted with other professionals you know or I should say professionals in the STEM field so hmm I don't know if I'm going to answer your question I'm going to do my best here or maybe if it's anyone you know like how mm -hmm. do how can we make sure that like fields like yours and mine and in creative arts because we just talked about also that STEM has now become STEAM right yes the arts Mm -hmm. so if it's all overlapping Mm -hmm. where do you come in Yeah, Yeah. and when – so things in our fields have concrete answers. Math problems Mm. have a correct answer. Science has a correct answer. Mm. And so do those things feel limiting as a child? Because in English class, you can be creative, you can write, you can create worlds. But in math Mm -hmm. class, like, do you think that's thought of differently in a child's mind? Do you think that's putting them in a box? Hmm. Yeah, gosh. Well, I mean – Children are, I want to be careful here because it's not, life isn't simple, right? Life is very, very complex. And so you might hear people say, um, even professionals, or um, whether they're worldwide known or not, you know, children are super resilient and they're super vulnerable. And those things are true. And even with the scientific evidence that we have in our I think it would be appropriate to call it the social science field. Um, and I might be wrong. So forgive me if I, you know, to, to my folks out there, if I've said that wrong. But um, even with the scientific evidence that we have, it, you know, we have things called protective factors that can help us get through challenge, you know, as a child or as an adult. Um, 
But what we know is that children, if, if a child could have at least one caring, attentive adult in their life, that will set them up for a lot of success. And so I think it's interesting to be a kid because, you know, life sort of just happens to them a lot, right? You know, they yeah. they are experiencing life. They know, you know, at least here in America, I can't speak about other, you know, cultures or countries, um, but eventually you start maybe reading the book with mom or dad or grandma or maybe you don't get that opportunity but like okay kindergarten is starting in three months you know let's prep mm -hmm. for that um and then that sort of just happens to them but just like any ability right even as as adults they they're able to learn um and i just have to give a shout out to teachers because teachers are incredible OMG. people like I, I have a lot of teacher friends and man, I, you know, especially this year, oh, they, they need raises and bonuses and vacations galore. So shout out to all you teachers. Um, we literally just did yeah. a podcast about teachers. Oh, did you? I, I'm a episode behind, so sorry. I haven't listened, but yeah. Um, but yeah, they, so I don't know if I'm answering your question because I think it's such a profound question, but, you know, where where I come in, that intersection, I guess, is let's say um, a teacher has a student who is really struggling during math class. You know, maybe they're seeing some shutdown in the child or some disruptive behaviors. Ideally, right, then they're talking to the caregivers or the parents and saying, hey, this is what, what I'm seeing um, mm -hmm. what could be going on here. And then in a lot of cases, I end up getting a call from that, that parent or that caregiver, you know, Hey, my kid is really struggling during school, you know, they're acting out or something like that. Um, and then, you know, we start the therapy to figure out what's not only what's going on, but so how do you, you know, how do you approach that? When you see the kid the next time? Yeah. So I am trained in, um, well, the three modalities, the three therapeutic modalities that I use primarily that I've been trained in are experiential play therapy, um, which is a child-centered play therapy model, meaning that the child comes into the playroom and they are the ones in charge. I'm not telling them what toys to play with and how to play with them. They literally come in and I'm there to just hold that space for them, um, build that rapport with them. And be a witness to their to their story, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's something called EMDR, which is a trauma modality, and it helps the brain reprocess trauma, whether it was a one-time trauma or um, chronic traumas throughout your life. And even if you're 40, and let's say you had a trauma in early childhood that was never resolved, EMDR can help with that. So it's really powerful that wow. taps into the brain and the nervous system. Because what we know, and science has proved this time and time again, is that trauma gets stuck inside of our bodies, or it can. Wow. Um, so that's why, you know, you hear the word trigger, right? Like, oh, I was triggered. Yeah, that's a very common mm -hmm. phrase nowadays. Right. And when we're thinking through the lens of trauma – you know, I was in, not me personally, but just an example, like I was in a car accident and this experience for me happened to be traumatic. So now 
I go about my day and I hear like a screech and my whole body tenses up. Oop, I hit the mic. Sorry. Um, my whole body tenses up, you know, or um, I feel like I'm back in that car. So those are those, you know, mm-hmm. those triggers essentially. And then I'm trained in something called TheraPlay as well, which is an attachment play-based um, model for adult and child to, you know, work through struggles. And then that's more directive. So that's the the model that I am in charge, essentially deciding which activities. So you lead a conversation. Um, so it's all play-based. And even with play okay. therapy – Talk is definitely something that can be part of the process, but what we know is that we need to be down inside of our core, inside of our body, inside of our nervous system when we're processing challenge, you know, trauma, anxiety, um, you know, all that kind of stuff to then be able to release it and, and get that out. Um, so, so like, wow, you're saying instead of sitting down with like a four-year-old and going like, Sarah, Mm-hmm. What's wrong? Mm-hmm. You're actually like <laughs> playing with Barbies or something, or like you're you're re, you're interacting with her in a very ch- child set. Do you play with them? Yeah. So it um so to answer Emma's question, right? So talk therapy is not appropriate for children, and um wow. even though we know that, it's still sort of slow to um you know really take on like we in the play therapy world Mm -hmm. are fighting really hard to educate our colleagues like hey you don't bring a five-year-old into the room and you sit down on the couch or on the chair and and say how did you feel when you know that boy hit you today obviously we want them to be able to learn and say that was scary or that hurt or I felt sad or I felt angry um but if it's something that's really weighing on them, play is the most appropriate way to help a child. So how does how do those things reveal themselves? So if a child is leading the play mm-hmm. session, if they're just playing, mm-hmm. how does information come out of them? Yeah, great question. So with that experiential play therapy model that I mentioned, um, we're looking at not only what toys are they using, Um, But we also are looking at what is the story that the child is communicating. So, for example, um, maybe they gravitate towards the bin that has what the model labels as aggressive toys. So um, swords, guns, handcuffs, um, a knife, a grenade. And there's debate in the field of, you know, do we want to be... How realistic Mm -hmm. do we want those toys to look like versus just having a pool noodle instead that can be used as a sword, right? So there's debate there, but so let's say they gravitate towards those types of toys and their play involves um, robbing a bank or taking control or, um, you know, I'm put in a role of a victim, you know, get down on the floor and lay there and, you know, don't, don't talk or, you know, it doesn't have to be that intense, but what they're showing us then, and, and I'm just speculating and I'm not talking about any client in particular, I'm just making all this up off the top of my head, but what we can, you know, assume then potentially is, gosh, the themes here 
are really that this kiddo does not feel empowered or they feel really scared about something. And what's so great about play therapy is that kids will come in and they not only need to feel safe in the room, but they need to feel safe with us. And so that rapport Mm -hmm. is so incredibly important. So we build that relationship and then they feel safe to show us the stuff. Okay, Candice, I know I can trust you. It's time. I'm going to show you that scary thing that happened to me. And then what's so wonderful, and it and it makes me a little emotional because it's just so powerful, honestly. And, um, you know, kids are incredibly brave to get to that point where they, they show me what has happened in their life. Um, and they show the challenge and the disruption, but then they become the, the, how do I want to say, they become, you know, the person that gets through it, you know, and we see then that empowerment stage where, where kids are like, I, I fought that battle. And in the safety of the play therapy room with the safety of my therapist, I, I won that battle. And, you know, and it's, Oh my god. It's gosh. really incredible. And it's all woo-woo and like the brain's involved and the nervous system is involved and then my nervous system is involved and I'm helping them regulate in the play and all that kind of stuff. Wow. And, then, and that's how they heal. I'm freaking out right now. This is so interesting. <laughs> Emma, like, did no. you know any of this? No, I, I did mean, not. Like, for my for my brief brief time in this world, I remember I talked to Candace in or in grad school about like I gotta build this building for kids with cancer tell me about kids i swear the things that comes out of her mouth i don't even <laughs> this just blew well, I, didn't, my mind. I didn't even know that that is so i, I, I don't know that. that's just like wow what really resonates with me is like how you you are just an observer you don't even f- facilitate anything you know and then all of a sudden you you see their empowerment mm-hmm. and i like how you said they become the person that's gone lived yeah. through it or like is is going through it or can mm-hmm. handle it and i think that's so interesting well, i mean and i i like that idea of i'm no, sorry you're good keep you. going i like that idea of empowerment because emma and i talk about encouraging mm-hmm. so like how we were talking about stem and steam how do we encourage children to pursue these fields or like be interested and not be discouraged by them so how does encouragement and empowerment look in this setting like how are children's how are children encouraged and empowered Mm -hmm. like what kind of environment reflects that yeah and and so you're looking at that in your field but you're curious about like through my field too. Well, as a marriage, as a licensed marriage and family therapist, you know, like I said earlier, family systems is really the basis for, um, for my group of mental health professionals. Um, you know, other, other licensure tracks teach it. Um, and for MFTs, it's, it's really the main focus. You know, we don't grow up and live in vacuums. We grow up and live in systems. And because children are, you know, there is that piece of vulnerability, right? And they have underdeveloped brains for the first quarter Mm -hmm. of their life. They need healthy and stable and consistent adults in their lives. And here's the reality of life, right? Sometimes kids don't have that. That's the reality. Sometimes kids um, don't have that consistent caregiver. 
So my job then becomes not only holding the child and helping them through their healing, but the way that I approach my work is that I'm also holding the entire system. So when, when people call me and ask about starting therapy with me, I actually, you know, do some, um, some basic assessment over that phone call to figure out if fit will be there, right? If I'll be a good therapist for them and, you know, um, Mm -hmm. can I support them enough? But I tell the adults right off the bat. So this is how I structure it. Not only do I want to work with your child every week, but at least one time a month, as many as, as many adults as we can get in here that's sort of a requirement. And if you can't do that, then I might not be the therapist for you because children, it's, it's not appropriate to have children be the, um, sole agents of change. They need that adult support. And so then in those adult only sessions, I'm holding the adults. Um, I'm helping them process through something, you know, and maybe giving some parenting education, because, right, if you have the child who's disruptive in class, that's not easy as the parent. You might feel some shame. Mm-hmm. Or let's say you have something unhealed from your second grade math class. Maybe you were the kid that was struggling and no one knew how to help you. So you might get, you know, kind of triggered in some way and like, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? And so maybe that adult needs a bit more support in processing through that. And, you know, if I feel like they need a bit more individual support, then I might recommend, hey, you know, I think it would be really great if you worked with your own therapist, Mm. you know, and did a deep dive into what maybe is helping or what's um, making you feel stuck. Yeah, I have a couple questions. Uh, One, can you elaborate a little bit more on the vacuum comment? Yeah, so as in, you know, if we think about like a vacuum, right? There's just that that straight tunnel, if you will. Um, life isn't like that. You know, we don't sit in our rooms. Well, I should say we don't want to sit in our rooms during childhood and just be alone all the time. You know, we want to spend time. You know, we, we, we want kids to spend time with their caregivers and their siblings if they have siblings or, you know, whoever they live with, their grandparents or their aunt and uncle or you know, all that kind of thing. But even outside of the family then, right, we're looking at the whole system, your school system. How does the principal and the teacher and the social worker and the lunch um, provider and the janitor, how do they all work together? And then what does that mean for the kiddos that are there during the day um, or now, you know, virtually? Um, Our communities, how can we um, come together as a collective in our neighborhoods, in our towns, in our um, in our states and then globally in, as a country and all that kind of stuff. I'm feeling a lot of pressure and the weight of the world right now. <laughs> like uh, the amount yeah. of domino effect that you have just by one kid mm-hmm. just makes me feel very similarly. Like I can relate it architecturally, you know, like we got the foundation mm-hmm. and we yes. got some steel, you know what I'm saying? But, <laughs> but like <laughs> the emotional content of that um, on a more mental perspective, like my mental health, I talk about this with Lauren a lot. I'm very open about my mental health. Like I'm in therapy myself, but like, I am just impressed by, 
I think your ability to contain, I need to take a minute and say, I found the spider. (laughs) I'm sorry. Continue. Um, My ability to watch you contain that in your Mm -hmm. field. um, I don't know about you, but like, Lauren, I, I was thinking about asking Candace like more about herself in relationship to her field. Oh boy. Because how many how many minutes do we have here? <laughs> oh well. Um but like I, I think about like what are the challenges that you're facing not only as a therapist for other people, but like with yourself, right? Like a lot of people in my life have always asked the balance question. How do you balance being a therapist while dealing with your own stuff? Mm-hmm. And being a professional or do you have a therapist? Aren't like all therapists will sit over therapy? Is that a is that a rule? I feel like it could be. <laughs> you know, there are some graduate programs out there that require it for their students. That if you're going to be studying some type, who's of, paying for that? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's part of how the school system part of the tuition was package? developed. I I would, assu- I would assume it's part of the tuition. But like, you know, if you're going to be a therapist or a helping professional you need to get like 20 hours of therapy for yourself. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to pair my, my answer, you know, how do I balance it with just a quick response to what you said, Emma, you know, in the architecture world world and Lauren, I don't know what the words would be that fit with your field, but um, you know, scaffolding, mm-hmm. right. You guys use that term like, and <laughs> sorry. Yes. Yes, we do. Right. And like, you know, I think about construction, right? When construction workers are building a mm-hmm. building, there's that scaffold literally outside the, the wall. Um, human, the human condition is really a, a very similar thing, right? Um, so attachment is... Do tell. <laughs> so attachment, you know, um, that, that... And a lot of the research focuses on the mother um, because the mother, you know, carries the baby. But we do have a, a lot of research that focuses on... Um, you know, the father as well, or the other parent figure, right? It doesn't have to be just, you know, the mother or the father. Um, but the goal with families is that there's that, that I'll say adult baby bond, you know? So the minute that baby is born, and let's say, you know, if we're thinking in the context of, um, you know, the, well, let's just say the the mother has the baby and the baby is put on the mother's chest. That bond is happening right away. I mean, it's happening in the womb too. um, Yes. But it's happening with that skin to skin contact and attachment is really the, the basis for everything. And there's no time. And I know this isn't the podcast to go into the types of attachment. Um, but you know, if, if the child misses out on that consistent, um, healthy attachment, essentially, they probably will miss out on scaffolding in different areas of their life. And so the beauty of play therapy and TheraPlay and EMDR is that we can, quote unquote, go back in time and help repair that disruption or that missed opportunity. Oh my Yeah, goodness. so therapy is powerful in that way. But then kind of molding that into that balance, yeah, I mean – it's no easy, is feet the right word? No easy feet, you know, being a therapist. Like we don't, 
like it's it's not um you know we don't just go into that room and sit there and tell our clients oh you're you're struggling in in your partnership you should leave them or you should stay with them like obviously we can't make those decisions for people um i can't even tell my clients parents like how to parent them i can give them new information and explore Mm -hmm. different aspects um of their already parenting style or even how they were parented and that impacts how they are parenting. Yes. Um, but, you know, that takes a lot out of us. And what we talk a lot about in the field is burnout. You know, we have research that shows, you know, if you're working with X amount of clients per week or more, you're more at risk for burnout. Um, it's, it's, not recommended by anyone specifically, but, um, you know, it's never a bad idea as a therapist to have your own therapist because, right, we have our own lives. You know, maybe maybe we have our own traumas that haven't been dealt with. And if that shows up in our room and we haven't touched on that yet, if we mm-hmm. go into some sort of, you know, dysregulation, for example, and then we can't help that client in front of us, then it becomes about us. And that's when we're going yeah, into right. some unethical stuff. And you don't want right. No, that. not at all. Because, like, here's the reality, folks, right? Like, you pay us to to get support and to, to grow and heal. You shouldn't be paying us to listen about our stuff. Well, you know, yeah. That's just, I think that's I'd be not inappropriate. Yeah, absolutely. And so, as a child, I would be confused. Right. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, there's there's moments of self-disclosure in the therapy room. You know, I have told kids before, like, um, I'm trying to think of like an easy example. Like I'm um, a sister. Yeah. Like I'm a sister, you know, and I've been in fights with my sisters before and that's really tough. And that's usually like the end of it. You know, I don't go into details, but yeah. just to be able to relate to them you know, and to, to help them understand that they're not alone, but you know, it gets, um, you know, just gets tricky. So yeah, if you've got unhealed stuff and that's my advice, if any of you out there listening are thinking about going into graduate school to be a therapist, I recommend getting your own, your own therapist, even from that, that point, you know, I recommend everybody goes to therapy regardless well, of yeah. if you want to I mean, be a therapist. I do too. Yeah. yeah. Everyone, everyone, my goodness. And it doesn't have to be a crisis. You don't have to be at rock bottom to start therapy. Yeah. I saw this really cool meme on Facebook once where it was trying to explain, like, why people should go to therapy. Mm. And it was, like, this girl who was knitting, like, knitting a scarf. Mm -hmm. And her therapist was actually unraveling the tangles Ah, of the yarn. Yes. So, like, it was was trying to explain that, like, you're doing the work by making the scarf, Mm -hmm. but your therapist is just trying to, like, organize your thoughts Mm -hmm. so you don't sound crazy in yourself because people think they're crazy and you're not. Mm -hmm. Like, you're very valid in your feelings. Yeah. Um, So I think that's pretty cool, but that's, like, the the best way I've been told, and that's kind of what convinced me is, like, Mm -hmm. no one's telling me what to do. Mm Mm-mm. Yeah. I mean, here's the reality, you guys. Like, we are relational creatures. Our species, um, and I purposely say it this way, you know, no matter who or what you believe created us, created us to be relational. You know, we cannot live this life alone. It's it's not possible. Um, and if it happens, it can be a big struggle. I mean, I don't know if you guys ever learned in... Um, 
you know, if you took psychology in high school or even in psych 101 in college, but, you know, there's all those studies out of Romania about the orphanages. Um, kids who grow up in isolation and are not even touched, like held and rocked and, and kissed, they die. That's what the science shows us. And That's so really intense. Even yeah. as adults, you know, we need healthy touch. We need healthy relationship. Um, you know, it's one thing, and I'm not talking about like temperaments, like extroverted and introverted. I'm not talking like that, but just as the basis of our species. Um, yes. I think it's probably why people are suffering right now in this pandemic. Oh, like, absolutely. The lack of contact that we have with our friends and our family is just like eating us alive. Oh, absolutely. Like when this started, you know, I didn't hug our parents for... I don't even know how many months and then because we were f afraid yeah because we didn't know and then you know when when I felt more comfortable and so did they you know we we all threw our masks on and turned our heads and man <laughs> I I kind of cried like to be able to hug my mother like how magical you know and kids um you know kids need that too and and kids are feeling mm -hmm. it hardcore right now you know they're social creatures, right? And and we need that peer experience as part of our social and emotional and mental well-being and development. I mean, the teenagers, yes, um, maybe they're on the technology a lot anyways, but they still need to be in the same room with their besties, even if they're all on their Snapchats. And yeah, yeah. can't do that right yeah. now. And so it's tough. Yeah, I mean, I, I think about just, you know, how Lauren and I discuss like this podcast, we we always hope that people who have friends or don't have friends can consider us as like their friend. Yeah, that's and great. And like this is a great way that we hope that people can reach out and have a relationship with us because we're two normal girls, uh, women, uh, <laughs> growing and changing and like adapting to this world. And like Lauren and I have disclosed this before, but like we recognize we have privilege mm. and we recognize that we come across a lot of rarities that don't happen in every family type, mm -hmm. uh, culture. Um, that perspective is very, very different, obviously, but like Lauren and I have been doing this podcast over the internet. Yeah. Like it's changed yeah. the way that we react to each other. Um, how we communicate, how mm -hmm. intentional we are with our time together. Um, but I, I, I love the way that you describe uh, being a therapist and having balance in your life because, like, that gives me some kind of trust in you. Like, you don't think that you're the ultimate uh, responder, right? You, oh, you have gosh, so no. much more learning that you're probably doing. Always, always. Honestly, the, the one of the best pieces advi of advice from – um, I think it was one of my supervisors in my practicum was that they basically said, if you ever get to a point in the field where a story doesn't surprise you or you don't maybe feel it in your heart a little bit or, um, or yeah, you think you have all the answers, you best be go call your therapist, you know, or you best be, you know, um, consulting with your colleagues or maybe going out and getting some self-care. Wow. Because those are, yeah. you know, at least in that person's opinion, some signs that you're heading down a rough uh, path or you're already there and, you know, or burning out, right. you know. Yes, right. exactly. Which makes a lot of sense because, I mean, if, if you're not, what's the, 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 the thing, the term, the cup, half full, can't give when you're not full? 
you can't give from an empty cup. Yeah, that's it. Okay. I like I like the um the <laughs> the, the plain analogy, you know, instead. Oh, what's so, the plain like, analogy? You know, put your uh, mask on first before helping oh, others. Oh, I was like, we're driving a plane? Yeah, oh. like what the plane yeah like analogy. the airplane like the you know the oh. flight attendants tell you like if in the event of the emergency you put your mask on first and then help the person next to you you know yeah you can't if that isn't a yeah, life you can't advice. give to others a few exactly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you know again life is complicated so even if we are getting our own support um if we're moving through something tricky while holding space for our clients you know sometimes we have heavy days you know yeah. sometimes at the end of the work day i'm just like even to my husband, like, please have dinner on the table. You can do whatever you want tonight. I need solitary, you know, I need a solitary night. I need to just binge Netflix and go to bed. Um, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that, you know, to, you. to hold, to hear challenge is challenging. You know, Lauren, we were talking earlier about just like you being, um, a person in business, hmm. in therapy, in a field that like is very complicated and and we don't really necessarily understand the details of that but like we were talking about how like this is a podcast for women Mm -hmm. by women Mm -hmm. and i've i've loved this conversation so far but i was wondering if we could steer it in a more personal even more personal way and say like yeah what's wait i still have a question i didn't even know you had a question (laughs) well i just want to throw it in there before we change is that okay i'm ready Okay, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Okay, we were talking about um, play yeah. therapy and what you do when, so say you get a mm-hmm. new client. My question is, do parents get, like, frustrated or are they surprised when you don't necessarily have answers that they want, like, right away? I mean, That's- I feel like doing this this thing with children, like, it probably takes a lot of sessions to kind of build up to those answers or what's struggling with them or like what should be worked mm-hmm. on is that like a is that is that a good representation of what right happens? on lauren um it's it's one of a bazillion scenarios yeah on it yeah for sure i mean remember not only are the kids struggling in some way or stressed out but the caregivers are as well um, right usually you know yeah um i mean so are the parents ever like what do you mean you don't know what's wrong with my kid right yeah. <laughs> like, or like it's been eight months or something you know do they ever the, like- i have been in those scenarios too and what then my goal is as best as i can is to focus on my relationship with them okay it's been eight months and you're not seeing the results that you were hoping for let's chat about that you know, what, what was, um, I mean, ideally we're talking about goals from the start, you know, um, how do we know mm-hmm. change is occurring? What are we going to be seeing and hearing? How do you know, mom, dad, grandma, uncle, whoever's bringing the kid in that you're ready to, um, be done with therapy or, or that your child is, um, but you know, but yeah, like, so it's been eight months and you're not seeing what you thought you would see what's going on for you. You know, you come here for 53 minutes a week or right now it's all telehealth um, and you're expecting something different. Talk to me about that. And I try and make those um, those conversations. I, 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 I try and normalize those conversations from the beginning. So in my little speech at the start, I let parents know or caregivers know if things are not feeling right or going right, tell me. Let's schedule a session and yes. let's chat. I want to know what's going on for you. 
Um, and if I'm off track, it's your kid, you know, I'm not the end all be all here. Yeah. I want this to be a partnership. So they have to help you help them a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all together, right? Like, you know, they are the experts of their child, whatever that looks like. Yes, I have expertise, um, or I'm sorry, not expertise, but like training and education and experience and, and specializations. But I don't know Johnny who comes from the Smith family down the street in that town over there. I mean, you guys know him. So help me understand him and what makes him um, what yeah. makes him tick and all that stuff. But I also tell folks from the beginning too um, that – they got to do the work, you know, parents and caregivers, if they're not ready to do the work, um, then maybe they're willing to stick around at least and, and bring the kid, but they really got to put in some kind of effort. Cause again, right. Kids should not be, um, the sole agents of change for a family. Yes. You know, I really like this conversation, Lauren. Thank you for that question because I'm trying to think about when I was younger and I was seeing a therapist, like, I'm curious how much conversation she had with our parents without, mm, you know, and yeah. like how much of a uh, agency that might have made me feel um, knowing that there was support at home mm -hmm. because there was conversation had prior or after the meeting I had with my therapist mm -hmm. um and I think people I don't know about you Lauren but like I feel like sometimes I forget about all the factors and the people and the perspectives that go into a, a simple uh you know task but rather that this is like a very um thought-provoking intense moment with a child that not only is Candace balancing the kid but like she's gotta talk to a set of parents and that might come with multiple yeah. groups of parents and even when it's not something that's thought provoking, even when it's the sessions where you're like, I'm, I don't know what the word I want to no, use okay. is, but you know, may, maybe it's not as intense, mm -hmm. you know, they come, you play with them, you, you learn some new mm -hmm. things, um, but it's not like a breakthrough yeah. Oh sure, yeah. is being yeah, made yeah, or yeah. something. And you know, you talk about trust and rapport mm -hmm. and like building building that relationship with your clients I think that's that's interesting and I relate to it even as an engineer mm. because um, I'm a manufacturing engineer and I do the same thing mm -hmm. at work right so when I want to change a manufacturing system I got to get everybody mm -hmm. on board everybody who's who's actually doing the work who's on the floor you know we talk about it I say what do you think about this? You have to you have to get their buy-in. You have to earn their trust, earn their respect. Yeah. And like and me with full adults. And then it's kind of funny. Mm -hmm. Like, so I might bring in manufacturing practices and they might have to unlearn some bad habits. Oh. Right. And that's really wow. hard. Mm -hmm. And it's just so it's so it's funny to hear you talk about that from like a, a child therapist. Mm -hmm relationship because I relate to it so much because sometimes it's it's such this big learning curve that you have to go through on how to earn their trust because like you will make no progress mm -hmm. without them right and being on the same team yes. 
Um, yes, yeah. yes, exactly. And and I know you none of, none of the listeners can see us, but like I did this like extreme pointing thing in the air just then. My, my brain is just <laughs> like, like when, blowing up right now. I'm yeah, like, when Lauren <laughs> said the buy-in and that's everything, you know, we got to get the buy-in and that yes. comes like you're saying through rapport and trust. And we even have research that that shows that the rapport is I think it's oh gosh forgive me colleagues it's either the most or one of the most important factors um as a change agent for the client so me so meaning wow and I think that's true of any age 110 percent 110 percent you could be 95 going to therapy or you could be one in therapy and if you don't have trust with that relation or I'm sorry if you don't have trust with that therapist and, you know, change ain't going to happen or it's going to be really bumpy and, and messy. Walls will be built, and, not broken. Yeah. Right. And here's the truth, you guys. We don't go into these client relationships thinking, oh, we're going to be together forever. We want you as the client or your child to feel safe and comfortable and heard. That doesn't mean that, a, you know, that relationship challenges won't come up. Like maybe I'll put my foot in my mouth and I'll say something wrong or you know, I'll, I'll mess up in the oh, playroom and the kid, mistakes. yeah, I'll make a mistake in the playroom and the kid gets a little like, oh, thanks, Candace, you know, and maybe they're a little ornery for a week <laughs> and then they come back and then yeah. we prepare. But um, I say that from the start as well. Look at here's the thing. If we get to X amount of months or weeks and, and we're not feeling it, or if you guys aren't feeling it just specifically, tell me. And then my job will be to help you find the, the better fit. I'm not I'm not the right yeah. fit for everybody. I want to be. I wish I could help the world, but um I'm just I'm not and that's okay. Well, I think that's why it's so important to so, have those perspectives and that knowledge because like re- researching what kind of career I want to have, what kind of firm I want to work for, I would say goes the same with your therapist, like who do I want to talk to? What do I want them to look like in body because like i know how important it is to have someone that is a female Mm -hmm. that that makes me feel validated yes yeah i just wanted to talk about Mm -hmm. that tell me more so so you know we're we're talking about this see that it's so funny because me at work i'm going up to people who this is their life they've worked at the company forever like they're so good at their job and this and that and then little me this like young petite small woman walks mm-hmm. up and is like i'm an engineer like like we should do this and this and this and it'll make it better right and they're like looking at me like who the mm-hmm. heck are you right so what what is you and emma as well like what are your instances where like that's kind of put on you or do you feel like you have to come from a different perspective or people don't want to use you as a therapist because you're a woman or like Mm. just what's that kind of like perspective because I kind of have to earn their trust because like I'm this little small girl who's like coming and telling them what to do right well before you answer that I was going to say like our fields are male dominated is Mm. that what your field looks like yes um no so and I and I want to be careful because I don't know all the details of the reality. So, no, we are predominantly a female-led field. Um, you know, there are male therapists. We need more male therapists. We do because boys, right, um, boys need to learn. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, we, we as women can teach them this. But um, I think for some, for some boys, 
it may be absorbed differently from, you know, a man or, you know, someone that they can relate to differently. Um, that, you know, boys can, can feel or should be feeling feelings too. You know, emotional intelligence is not gendered. Emotional intelligence is not mm-hmm. for girls or those who identify as girls, you know, right? Um, emotional intelligence is a human condition, no matter your your race, your ethnicity, the country you come from, um, your gender, your sexual orientation, your age. Emotional intelligence is something that we all need to foster. And that's a spectrum, right? Some people are more... Um, you know, academically, um, what's the word I want to say? Inclined or, um, you know, that's a strength of theirs. Like I am not intelligent or intellect over emotional as far as that type of skill. Like I am very the opposite. I'm E over I. I live through my body, through my soul. My emotions are on my sleeves. Um, I am connected to you through my core my, um, you know, I have friends and family that are the opposite, that they are mm-hmm. all that left brain and that logic and that analytic, analytical mindset. And so emotional intelligence is um, either really challenging for them or it just looks differently, you know? So what does that look like in, in the day-to-day? Like Lauren was saying, like, do you come across those challenges because you are female or because you are you know, white, unfortunately, I'm going to say that, but like, yeah, that's no. the reality of today. For sure. Absolutely. And, and again, it's about the client's comfort level. So if, if they don't, if someone doesn't want to work with me because, you know, I'm a bit younger, um, I'm white or I'm a female or, um, I don't know, this hasn't happened, but I'm blonde or, you know, what is my, my status, as a parent or, or not a parent, um, you know, I've, I've, ca- I've worked with clients who, you know, when they realize I'm not a mother, they didn't feel comfortable working with me anymore. And that's fair, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's not always easy to hear that as a therapist, but, but it makes sense. Yeah. I was just going to say like, that must, that must hurt, but it's understandable. Absolutely. I, I mean, yeah, the client just needs to feel safe and comfortable. And again, I can't be the right therapist for everybody. That would be bonkers. Well, you'd go so. crazy. Well, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> well, but. Um, Lauren, we're, we're um, getting to a point where I think we should wrap up just because we've had such... I know, but I cut you off before. So if you okay. wanted to... I know you kind of wanted to gear the conversation a different way. We could still record it if That's you fine. want. We can, I can do both. Okay, so, well, like, Candace, I think, um, you know, we, we've really learned a lot about, like, what it's like working with kids with you, um, where your background is from, um, why you established this business. Uh, but, like, I think I'm kind of curious more so about your perspective as a female business owner. Mm. Um, you know, we, we appreciate your knowledge. Thank you so much for willing to share that with us. But... I want to know now a little bit about what it's like to sit down and have this decision. Like I'm going to open up my own business. I'm a woman. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what it looks like. I, I, I know building a business from the ground up has its challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, is that encouraged in your field? Do people expect you to work for other people? Um, 
are you hoping for this to be something beyond what it is now or like just anything that you have you know I wrote down this question like what is your biggest hope with this and what is your Hmm. deepest concern Ooh. (laughs) okay um yeah so I think you know being being a woman you know identify as a woman you know she her pronouns um I think it's wonderful that I have this opportunity and and I do think that more girls need to see women in different aspects of life and you know let's break that down even more um you know let's say through race or sexual orientation you know representation matters they want people to look like them absolutely you know and Right. You think you guys are talking about the kids that you've, you know, worked with or, or maybe have mentored or however you do that. Um, kids need to see that when they grow up, this thing is possible, you know? Yeah. And so I don't know, at least right now, I don't have a goal related to helping little girls know that they can be a business owner one day if that's their path. Um, my, my, my biggest hope really for this business is to serve. Um, and you know, Emma, there's no, to answer that question or to respond to that comment that you made about, you know, is it, how did you say, is it encouraged to, to work for others? You know, that's really, um, personal and subjective. You know, we have mental health agencies, we have group private practices, day treatment programs, hospital settings, in-home therapy. Um, The list goes on. Yeah, the list goes on. And so that's really subjective on what environment is best for you. And, and Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of other things before this practice. You know, I've, I've been in the field for seven years and I've dabbled in different areas and they were great and I learned a lot. Um, But I was just at a point where I was ready to to be my own boss and, and to do things that made the most sense for me. And, um, I wanted a different type of work life balance. And, um, so my biggest hope is just to be able to serve those in my community and surrounding communities and to help. But now that I have what I'm calling is more free time because I don't work five days a week. I don't work 40 hours a week, you know, face-to-face client time. Um, I want to get into advocacy work, you know, partnering with birth centers and early childhood family education programs, um, doing lectures and and talks and teaching parents um, about, you know, child development, uh, positive parenting techniques. Um, I want to do... If, if people think that I'm, I'm worthy of sharing information, I'd love to do more podcasts. You know, I want to be a voice for the voiceless. Um, and I truly believe that a lot of children are voiceless and they need someone to advocate for them. You know, I am curious about policy even and, and, you know, the political world, like, don't get me wrong, I don't want to run for politics or, you know, be in that position. But I'm really curious about how does policy influence people's abilities to not only seek out help, but actually get the help that they and their children need. And so um, I don't know what that looks like yet. But 
one of my my basic core value systems and beliefs is that if we did put more money and attention and and proper educated focus into children and their systems, we would have a very different society. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. Um, and if I can make a little bit of a, you know, have a little bit of influence in that way, then I'm going to try, you know, because I'd like to be in my field for at least another 35 years. Absolutely. You know? Well, that was awesome, Candace. Thank you so much. Yeah. Did you have a concern or like a fear for starting the business? Like, were you terrified? I would be terrified. Yeah. I mean, like, I think, and I've heard this from other clinicians, I think one of my my biggest concerns is, you know, finances, making sure that you know, because yes, I, I'm here to serve, but I'm also here to make a living, right? And put food on my table. So, um, you know, am I networking and marketing myself enough? Am I talking to the right people to then get those referrals um, and be able to pay my bills? Um, but, you know, when I've worked for others, there was sort of that automatic protection like if something happened you know or if I had a question about ethics I can go to somebody right away or you know what is the policy Mm -hmm. of this agency or of this practice Mm -hmm. now all of that is on me and while I take ethics extremely seriously and I have a lot of our ethical codes memorized you know um, there's gray area in ethics and in this field and so um, I sometimes worry about being isolated and not being able to go down the hall and knock on my colleague's door. So it's a lot of text messaging and, and phone chats now of like, yeah. hey, I need to schedule a, a consult with you or I need to get my own supervision for a situation. And so I call my mentors and gotcha. go to their supervision groups. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, Candace, thank you. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a great it's a great field. I love what I do as hard as it is. I I was not created to do anything else. This was the path that I was put on, and um, I'm excited to add some different variety to it now. But, yeah, I'm exactly where I need to be. That's really cool, Candace. Well, um, maybe this is a good time to plug your information. You know, we heard ah. about you, but, like, where can we find you? And, like, where can people who are in maybe that area that you live in can look you up and yeah. bring their kids to you because you mm-hmm. can help them. Yeah, so I don't have a Psychology Today profile at this time, but if you go to my website, so holdingspacetherapyllc.com is my website, um, you'll get a lot of information there, my areas of specialty. Um, I only work with children birth to 12, by the way. I should have added that at the beginning, but you'll see that on the website. And then presenting concerns and challenges that um, I typically um, work with or like to work with. And, um, my phone number is on there and my email address is on there. I also have a Facebook page, um, holding space therapy, comma LLC. And, um, if you are a client out there or maybe going to be a client, no obligation to like the page. Um, but for those of you who won't be my client, please like the page. Um, and, or even, I, I know that you've done like 
Facebook lives yeah. giving information on there mm-hmm. too. So like even if you're not seeking it or not in the area, you could still follow the Facebook page to get some more information. Yes, Knowledge absolutely. is power, people. Yeah, I share the content that I try and focus on is, um, you know, child development, emotional intelligence, parenting system. So I'll share, you know, other people's memes about, hey, if we're going to, you know, heal our kiddos, we need to heal ourselves and maybe we go back mm-hmm. in time and help our grandparents heal through our own work, all that kind of stuff. Right on. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with us yeah. today. I learned so much, Emma, of did course. you? Thank you both. This went by really fast. Everyone told me it was going to go by fast and it did. So yeah, all of you guys were right. <laughs> good conversation and good people. That was a lot was of awesome. fun. So thank you so much. This has been another episode of The Oak View. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. Bye. Thanks again for listening to The Oak View. You can follow Lauren and Emma on Instagram at The Oak View Podcast, O-A-K-V-I-E-W, or email us at theoakviewpodcast at gmail.com.